Welcome back into Bearcat Rewind. Appreciate you joining us. And hope you had a fantastic Fourth of July and long holiday weekend. As we are diving back in, as we're not too far away from getting back into fall sports. But today we're going to take a little bit to look back at the 2022-23 seasons as a whole. A fantastic year for Northwest Missouri State athletics. And we're also joined by maybe the most interesting man in Bearcat athletics that you don't know. Now, many people, of course know our guest today, Colin McDonough. He's uh, a Northwest Missouri State grad in the early 2000s, been working back here uh, as the assistant AD for communications for quite a few years now, but still a lot of folks that may go to the ball games, listen on the radio, read the post-game stories, don't really know who's writing that. That's Mr. Colin McDonough. Colin, appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us here today. Absolutely, man. Uh, folks probably see the uh, the chubby uh, bearded man down on press row in basketball. And they, who is that guy? And uh, we're just keeping stats, we're watching the game, hearing what the opposing coaches have to say, the officials. We, we're not we're too far from from Ben and Austin to hear them, so we really never know what's going on with them. <laughs> and the inside joke there is that Colin is always injecting himself in and yelling at officials during the game. I'm just kidding. He's, he's actually very polite. Sometimes on the road, people may look down and they think that they see twins, two chubby men with beards, but that's just you and I sitting together. We're not related. Correct. Yeah, n- no relation at all. No relation. And you gave me a little – I'm a little older than what you said. Uh, not a late or early 2000s, you're at 98, so even older. Close. You were close. close. But certainly I was not in school in the 2000s. So. That's good. I'm back well, in the er- – before 2000, like the John Coffey era, that type of thing. The John Coffey era, I believe, was the early 80s, like 1980, 81. Well, I didn't want to date him, so. <laughs> well, I don't mind. I do it all the time. Um, let's just jump right into it. We're kind of wrapping up, of course, uh, the spring sports from a year ago. We're diving in. We've got fall right around the corner. and don't want to get too nitty-gritty with every little thing because we could be here for an awful long time. But one of the best scenes we've seen at Northwest Missouri State, top to bottom in a long time, 13th in the Learfield Cup standings. Also, that's the best in the MIAA for this year, the Learfield Cup standings taking on um, everybody throughout the country. Finishing second in the MIAA in the Commissioner's Cup, too. Tied for the best finish ever in the Commissioner's Cup. So you look top to bottom, a really banner year for Northwest overall. Yeah, uh Coach Rosewell has, has been around from the women's and men's tennis side. Certainly everyone knows Coach Mark Rosewell. But he had talked about this being maybe the greatest era of Bearcat athletics, just from top to bottom, from, from the start of the fall to the end of the spring, just all the sports being so competitive, top to bottom. Uh, and then and it shows. When, when you finish second in the MIAA, uh, the Commissioner's Cup standings, we're still trying to get to the top of there, and we're getting closer and closer. This is the highest point total we had. Uh, Best finish to second place, but then in the uh, the Learfield Directors Cup, that that's nationwide. You got to make the NCAA tournaments, NCAA championships, and have points scored in those. And to be 13th in the country, best in the MIAA, it was far and away the greatest season in Bearcat athletics from from an NCAA tournament uh, appearance standpoint. Bearcat athletics were just all over the map and, and did a great job. And there's a lot of hard work and, and a lot of small details that go into that. And of course, you know we we hit on the high points of you know, a lot of people love to kind of harken back to. You know, Mel Church were kind of turning around football and kind of raising the bar here in this area, and it kind of bleeds through the rest of the athletic department. But uh, there's a lot of folks that came through, come through that are leading these programs that were Northwest Missouri State student-athletes or people that have kind of watched from afar that have come in and, and um, really done some great things. So it has been fun to kind of watch the evolution of Bearcat athletics, which, of course, always thought were pretty good, reaching a whole other level. Absolutely. When I was in school, uh, Coach Coach Church was his first year. We went on 11, and then by the time we were done, national champs in football. 
Uh, basketball was getting better. Coach Tapp had, had great teams. Uh, they finally got into the regional and won a conference tournament or won a conference title um, early in the 90s, mid-90s or so. But, but basketball was really good. And then I was away for a while doing different jobs around the country, and I would look back at Bearcat Athletics. And I, when I would look at it, I would just think, oh, it's just a football and basketball. But coming back here five years ago, from this five years that I've seen of Bearcat Athletics, it, it it's unbelievable from from top to the to the I don't want to say the bottom because there's really not a bottom right now. It's like middle to the top, Bearcat Athletics from fall, uh, winter and spring, all doing a fantastic job. And it's not just a football and basketball school. It, it is all sports. Everyone is is in and, and everyone is supporting each other too. What was it like around campus on a Saturday afternoon back in 1994? Of course, you have people that go out to the football games. They had a rough year, of course. You mentioned going over there in the, at Coach T's first season, but. Was it, all right, let's go to class, let's head home on Friday afternoon, or give me the feel for what that was like? I feel like in, in, that, in my freshman year of 94, uh, I had joined the, the Northwest Missourian staff just as a, as, a, as a freshman right out of high school, uh, and nobody wanted to write the football beat. And I was thinking, that's kind of weird. That I mean, football, to me, is, is kind of one of your premier sports in, in an athletic institution, and nobody wanted to write it. And, and so uh, Gene Castle, who's now the Washburn, I said he was a sports editor at the time of the Missouri, and he was one of my uh, kind of bosses at the time, learning from him. And he's like, well, we can give you football because there's nobody to do it. And I was like, fine, <laughs> absolutely I'll do it. Freshman football, yeah, sure, let's do it. I couldn't believe what I was going to say. I'm a freshman. I shouldn't be doing this. Now, when I first saw the football team and what was happening, it became clear that nobody wanted to write a team that was going to be 0-11. Now, it was challenging to write uh, feature pieces that year and, and stories about the games and not dwell on all the losing but by getting through that first year of seeing that and then seeing the evolution of the next year being 6-5 and five and haven't had a losing season, it's 27 straight winning seasons since that year. But, I don't know, that, that freshman year, there weren't a whole lot of fans at the game. It, it was kind of, it was pretty light, Rick and Broad Stadium as it was then, and it, it just wasn't a huge uh, buzz. But in that, I remember changing in that 95 and 96 seasons, and then by the end of that 96 season, we ended up losing the last game of the year. It was 10-0 Pitt against 10-0 Northwest. It was going to be the Thrilla in the Villa. And ended up kind of being the dud in the mud as far as Bearcat fans were concerned. It, it was 40 to nothing. We lost that game. Was that the headline you wrote? Uh, it was not. I think we went with something else. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of what it felt. There were T-shirts made around town. It was pretty cool. It was a thrill in the villa. It was going to be this great matchup, uh, Broyles against Churchmo, two undefeated teams. And it just the field kind of fell apart that day. It was just a muddy day. Nothing went right for the Bearcats. But at the end of the day, Made the playoffs, won a game at Rascoma, and then went out to Greeley, Colorado, and, and lost a heartbreaker to Northern Colorado that year. But from that point on, Bearcat football was certainly buzzing, and, and campus on, on Saturdays, it was the place to be. I've read enough of your stuff to know that you're a good writer, and that takes time to progress to get to a certain point. But did you feel like as a freshman coming in, cocky, hotshot kind of kid, I'm going to write some stuff that maybe makes some people mad that a player or Coach Churchmore would never do this, but someone was like, Remember when you wrote that about this freshman year where you went over? Now look where we are. Uh, I don't remember being that, like that level of cockiness. I mean, I always felt like I could, I could write pretty well. I, I, Colleen Cook was one of our uh, copy editors, and she would just rip my stuff apart, and I would feel like, boy, I'm just not that good. I, I got to get a lot better. And that's all it took was taking more time, more, more experience of writing games, seeing games, being around coaches, being around student athletes. And it, in my perspective, if you've been around coaches and student athletes, I don't think you want to piss them off because you need to talk with them. You need to be able to work with them back and forth. No different than when I'm an SID right now. You got to be able to work with everybody, every piece of, of the department, from head coaches to assistant coaches to. So I that like that shock jock or that or the putting the weird stuff out there of, of, of making people mad or just making sure that you have a hot take. 
I didn't take that approach just because I didn't think it was going to help me progress in what I wanted to do. Uh, certainly I would want the Bearcats to win and that's hard as a member of the media. I think you're just supposed to cover the events. And I've learned that as you go along, like you can't expect people that cover you to cheer for you and, and they shouldn't, but they can cover you and work with you in, in a manner that, that, that that's going to help them get the stuff that they need and the stuff that, that is a Bearcat or, or athletic department. You want that information shared out there. So, uh, there was a time, uh, I did have a, a questionable statement. Uh, I didn't know coach T was even reading the newspaper back then, <laughs> but it was a game. I think it was at Missouri Western. Uh, it was a game where we took an intentional safety in a game. It ended up backfiring in my mind. Cause I said that coach T took a, took an intentional safety late in the game. It backfired. Missouri Western took the lead and, and, and won the game. Coach T, Came in the next Monday, you'd usually meet on those Mondays, and he said, uh, uh, what made it backfire in your mind? And I was thinking, oh, boy, he's actually reading this. Uh, i got to figure out a way. And he's, I, he really wasn't mad. He was just like, I just wanted to hear what your take was because you said it backfired in our approach, and in our mind it didn't backfire. It just That's the way the game went. So his, his way of understanding it is different than I think the way some coaches would, but it certainly it was a very good learning experience for me knowing that whatever you write and say, people are, are going to read it. Yeah, it, it's put out there, especially now, of course, with social media. It's a whole different animal. So um, glad I didn't grow up necessarily in that era, but it's something to just kind of roll with now uh, as we in in the professional world. Coming down to Northwest Missouri State from Iowa, um, and we also want to uh, take a moment now to welcome in our listeners from Osceola, Iowa, um, Colin McDonough's hometown. What brought you to Northwest Missouri State? I mean, this is a couple hours north. Where, where are we at here? It is. Uh, my mom had gone to school here uh, in the late uh, mid mid to late sixties, even older than John Coffey then. So, uh, <laughs> not by much. She went to Southwestern Community College. She was from. Uh, it's a small town, Arisby, Iowa, is where her hometown is. It's near Creston, Afton, up in that area. She ended up uh, being a school teacher. Was in Osceola. Uh, I grew up in Osceola. I spent my whole whole life essentially in the in Clark of Osceola, the Clark Indians. Powerful sports programs there in Clark. It's pretty good basketball teams I hear. We won a couple games. Too. Hey, I'm not going to go into that right now. But uh, as I progressed through, I, mean, I just like sports from like day, whatever, however old I could be to just read the sports page. The Des Moines Register had the, the Big Peach section every Sunday. So I'd pull that section out and just read the stats, read the, the box scores, read stories. And I just liked watching sports. So from that point forward, I would just, whatever sports related, I'd, I'd, I'd want to get into. So I played a lot of sports, tennis, basketball. Uh, not as much football. I had some concussions early on, and my mom said that's not a good idea. She was ahead of her time she with was that, a too. a little bit. So yeah. I did play in eighth grade, and I think she ended up telling the coaches, please don't put him on the field ever. Just He can be dressed, but don't let him play. I, I think eventually I got on the field, made a few plays, but it certainly wasn't uh, – it wasn't meant to be on the football standpoint. So I was a football manager, kept stats. Uh, they called me the water boy. I really wasn't the water boy. I wasn't Bobby Boucher at all. I was, <laughs> I was certainly more keeping stats and, and learning how to how, how to like stat a game. And, and like I was just fascinated with numbers with sports. And so I kept writing stories, would write for the student newspaper, got involved that way from a sports standpoint. And then when I was looking to go to college, I was looking at either Iowa State, which had a decent journalism program. And I came down to Northwest, which my mom had been here, and I toured the Stuart Wells Hall in the journalism department, I, and I kind of felt like I would get more involved earlier at Northwest than I would at Iowa State. And I really liked the campus down here. It wasn't that far away from home, hour and 40 minutes. Pretty easy, John, if I needed to get back home for a weekend. And it didn't end up being the best best decision I made. Were you growing up reading, like, of course, he probably wasn't a, a national at this point, but like a Peter Gammons? Are you reading someone like that saying, I want to work for the Sporting News or – the Sports Illustrated, which really Sports Illustrated has kind of been replaced by The Athletic as the premier um, 
place to go to for sports journalism, you'd say. Well, we still agree to disagree in that regard. Uh, sports Illustrated is still one of the finest uh, pieces of, of information you can gather from from a feature standpoint. Knocking one of our former guests, C.J. Moore. Shout out, C.J. Moore. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, kind of an inside joke there. Uh, but going back to it, was, was there a national writer that you're like, I want to be like this guy? I don't think from a national standpoint. I mean, I would read Sports Illustrated, but I never actually paid attention like who was writing it. Like I would read the stories, but I didn't like look at a name or something like that. Uh, I would read the Des Moines Register. So like uh, Mark Hansen was a columnist in there. Um, there was a guy Rick Brown covered basketball. He, he would read his stories, things like that. Uh, so I would read like the, the Register and, and their writers and see how they wrote things. Um, as it got further along, Peter King had a Monday morning quarterback, and I would read that and just kind of get a sense of how 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 you like covered teams and sports and, and how the writing went with that and, and the effort that it went into it, that it wasn't just thrown together at the last minute. I mean, there was there was time and effort that you put in, background, getting to know sources, things like that, that helped me understand how, how things get done from a sports writing standpoint. And I think if you had chosen to go the journalism route, would have been very successful, but choosing to kind of shift and go um, – the sports information director out, you mentioned Gene Castle, who you worked with at the Missourian, who uh, he was your boss there, now the Washburn SID, and still kind of in a way your boss as, you know, Gene being um, one of the top SIDs in the MIAA, and you're still working your way up. You'll get there eventually. Um, Don Wiest also up there, too. Appreciate listening, Don. Um, but whenever you look at that, I've looked at the stuff you put out, and I know people have seen some of the stats that uh, that you've tweeted out, and it's, you know, Trevor Hudgens over the course of the last five games has hit this many three-pointers. and You know, just some crazy intricate things that I try to dive into numbers and like enjoy numbers too, but I can never – I mean, I just can't reach that threshold of where you're at. I mean, how do you go into it of approaching some of these stats? Is it just by happenstance? Are you looking for a certain thing, or how do you come up with some of this? Well, I don't know. It's probably just references through the years. Like uh, you talked about Gene a little bit. I, I read some of his stuff, uh, his notes that he puts out are some of the best in the country. Uh, I think Washburn just put a release out to have they had so many award-winning pieces this year. And Gene's put together great, great stuff through the years. So reading his stuff, uh, a guy like Rob Anderson at Creighton, I, he, he had worked at, uh, I'd worked at Northern Iowa. He was there before I was at Northern Iowa. And so we had kind of a connection of, of both working at the same spot and he was at Creighton. And I would just see the way he looks up notes and does his notes and, and does like background research and just delving into it. And I, I'm not quite quite to, to Rob's level, and I certainly never will be. Uh, but just the way that they go into the background of, of like looking at numbers and then streaks, uh, just odd things like that just hit me in a different way that I can I can try to approach it that way and try to delve into it and, and spread the, the word of Bearcat Athletics in so many different ways as opposed to just a, a boring little story. So I, I, I like news and numbers and, and, and delving into it and streaks. Uh, I just it's the way my mind works my wife thinks it's weird uh <laughs> not that Joni thinks i'm weird she just thinks it's weird the way my mind works from a stat and, and number standpoint that i can remember that but i may not remember it to unload the dishwasher i may not remember it to unload the the laundry but i can certainly remember john crock and lenny dykstra and darren dalton and mickey morandini like the 93 phillies is just in my mind of <laughs> that team was great and i could like kurt schilling and it ended badly with mitch williams losing the home run to joe carter that that's still painful and but those things stick in my head, weird, but like things that uh, go pick up Dalton from the school that might just be forgotten for a day or two until I remember, oh, I needed to pick him up. And maybe not a day or two, just an hour or so. You know, I was going to make a joke about, oh, you got your priorities straight, though, because you're picking stats over, you know, the laundry. Then you said your kids. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go down that road in particular. I don't know. My mind works just in, in, a, in a different way, and I think it's just, I don't know. It's so sports-related that uh, – 
Joni is, is a saint that she puts up with me. We're going to be celebrating 22 years here in, uh, in August, and it's fantastic that she's been a part and at least been a, chosen to be a little bit a part of the sports life. She doesn't, not as much anymore. Early on, it was, it was fun and exciting for her to be a part of it, and then she's learned, like, no, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll be all right. But, you know, that's part of it, too, and we talk a lot about coaches' wives um, every year. Of It's a grind with what they're doing and long nights, practices, watching game tape. They're off on trips and everything. But it, in the media field and the SID, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, that you find a partner that understands um, what you're doing and what you're going into and the passion for it. And um, Not that they take a back seat to any of this, but they understand that there are just certain times of year that – you're going to be a little busy and your mind's going to be thinking more about a number or a game or a schedule as opposed to the dishwasher. And you might end up having to sleep in a loft for lumber in your garage. <laughs> it, it looks that way, doesn't it? It does look that way sometimes. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is available on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu foundation. And Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at ClorindaHealth.com. Now back to this week's interview. You mentioned Northern Iowa, uh, Northern Colorado. Take us through the jumps that you've made to get back to Northwest Missouri State after graduating in, some say the early 2000s, some say the late 90s. <laughs> 98 December 98 uh, you know, it's, but I, I was working on the newspaper obviously and then at some point I, I figured out that there was actually a sports information director's job on campus uh, Larry Kane was when I first got there and then it was Rocco Gasparro for a year and then it was Andy Seeley and Andy as I got to be a, a senior I kind of was like I don't know if newspapers where I want to get into I don't know how this field's going to evolve but I really like being involved on the sports side and, and like keeping stats and things like that. And so I asked Andy, what's the best way to, to progress in this field? Or how, how do you suggest kind of working your way in and trying to find a job? He's like, work for me. And then after that, uh, we can try to find you like a GA job or an internship. Uh, so I worked with Andy my senior year. So that fall and then a little bit into, it was that summer and that fall. And then we ended up playing in the national championship, that first one in 98, won the title. Uh, and then I was graduating at that point. So I had to try to find a job and I was sending out a lot of resumes I did, I did send them out to newspapers and such, but I was like, this isn't what I want. So I got a couple offers from newspapers in Iowa. Uh, and my dad was looking at me and was like, you need to take this job. You need to start working. I was like, this is not what I want to do, though. This is not the right one. There's going to be something that's going to come along. And then uh, eventually there was a good spot. It was at the University of Akron, which is quite a ways away from Osceola, Iowa, if you put it on a map. Uh, but there was a, a great uh, uh, SID there by the name of Jeff Brewer who, who took a, a chance on a young, young buck from Iowa. He had had good experience with others from Iowa before, so he said, well, we'll see what happens with this one. Uh, it ended up working out great. Uh, Jeff was a tremendous boss, taught me a lot of things that, that I still didn't know anything about SID work, just trying to learn. And I was a young kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm, but it was nice to be away from like family and friends. Just go out to Akron. Do your own thing for a while. Figure out life. Figure out what you're going to be doing. Figure out how to how to get groceries, how to how to make sure that the house that the apartment's clean things like that that you just never had to do because it was always, mom's going to clean this up or whatever so it was a good learning experience jeff took me under his wing out there uh spent a year at the university of akron he took me out in i think it was december january that year there was some he's like we need to go watch this high school kid he's a freshman he's at st vincent st mary's his, his name is lebron james and i was like well i guess i got nothing going on we can go watch this guy so we went over and watched this high school this freshman at st vincent st mary's who was the most 
built freshman I had ever seen in my life. And I was like, this, there's no way this guy's a freshman. And after watching him play, it was unbelievable. So I went back and I immediately started emailing my friends. I was like, I've just seen the next real deal. His name is LeBron James. Keep an eye on him. So I, I do feel like I discovered LeBron James in a way for some folks. You kind of did. Well, it's funny. I have a very similar story. Like, I'm just telling you, like, it's uncanny the similarities we have. There was one night that I went out to a game, um, and it was St. Joseph Lafayette, a young man named Diego Bernard, suiting up, and you just kind of watch this guy go, and he's going to be something special. <laughs> we, we can have the same eye. It's we amazing. should see a one-on-one between these two. <laughs> so, I, so I did a year's worth of work at, at the University of Akron. One highlight from that year was we had a basketball game scheduled. It was the same day as Northwest was playing Carson Newman in the football championship. And so I was just a year removed from, from being at, at every – like every road game, home game, every down, every snap. So it was hard being away from Northwest Athletics at that point in 99 just because I I was starting to learn about the Akron Zips and playing at the Rubber Bowl, different environment entirely. But we had a home basketball game, and I told Jeff, I said, I'll be in when the football game's over. It should be a three-hour game. I'll be in at this. Lo and behold, that was a four-overtime that just kept going on and on and eventually they're like are you going to come to work i was like well it's in the third overtime i need to i kind of need to find out how you this... didn't pop in the radio and listen to john coffee at the game <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite stretching that far at that point so uh it was on espn2 or whatever and just had the i, I was video uh video recording the game people probably don't even know what vcrs are anymore at this point but i, I recorded it and, and immediately labeled it the greatest game ever and I've, i still have the tape at home you only made us get rid of the VCR, but I've got the tape, so I, I will never get rid of the tape. You need to like put that in a case or something. I think some people put it on a DVD for us and would, would make that easier. But uh, yeah, but uh, it's a piece of history in multiple ways. Oh my goodness! And so it's, that, it's on YouTube now too. <laughs> it is much easier to find things on YouTube than it was uh, trying to find a videotape. Uh, so again, I worked a year at Akron. Then I was trying to get a full time job. Uh, ended up working. Uh, and an assistant SID opening was at Northern Colorado, and we had played them in the playoffs in 96 in Greeley. Uh, 97 and 98 were both in Maryville. Uh, Northern Colorado won 96-97, won the national championship. Northwest won them in 98 and 99 and won the national. So essentially the winner of that game was gonna, always going to win the national championship. So that was, you can just tell the high level of football that was being played. And so the opening was at Northern Colorado. I thought, I'm kind of familiar with it. I went out with the football team in 96 to cover that game. So I'd been in Greeley before the idea of living in Colorado seemed pretty cool for a single guy. And I had met my wife, uh, Joni, in college, and she was working at the St. Joe News Press. And she had visited Akron, and she wasn't maybe as excited about Akron, Ohio. Hmm. And the opportunity of Colorado seemed to be a little better for her. She has a brother who lives out there, too, so we could live a little, be a little closer to them. And she liked that idea better than Akron. There was also another opportunity at University of Texas, El Paso, and she didn't seem keen on that one either. So I don't, hmm. I don't know why people are passing on uh, UTEP and uh, Akron. But so you weren't married, but yet you're kind of Ooh. feeling the pressure. Certainly. Yeah. Okay. And so we got out to I got out to Colorado for a year, and then uh, Joni said she was not coming out until she un, she un, like there was going to be some sort of promise or some sort of commitment. Commitment. Uh, <laughs> marriage. Oh. And so I finally got to that point of saying, oh yes, this is the right. This is the right fit, and this is the right time. <laughs> because you had been cleaning your own place in Akron and just living on delivered pizza, and you're like, I can't do this. Yeah, the the, the apartment that she saw in Akron was not great, and then the one that I had gotten in Greeley was it was, it was okay. It was kind of on uh, – there, there was a show, and folks have probably seen it, but a lot of grocery carts. We called it Jackass Alley. That's what we called it a little bit. So <laughs> they were, they were, they, we were next to the mall, but there were always shopping carts strewn around it, so we just called it that. 
that alley, and uh, she wasn't overly impressed with that living arrangement. She liked this, the, the, this, the Colorado area, but not the, the actual spot I had chosen. So, so we did get married that August, uh, August of 01. Make sure the numbers add up there. It's August 4th, 01. Uh, and so then she came out that year, and that was our first year kind of together. You know, part, we, we had dated since 97, 98 in that time frame. So it, it had been, but we hadn't actually been in the same town for two years or so. So it was nice to finally get together and, and know each other and, and be around each other. And Joni, she she got a job at the Greeley newspaper. It was a copy editor out there after working at the news press as a copy editor. So it worked out well for her career to keep doing what she was doing uh, in those spots. And uh, five years in northern Colorado, we decided it was kind of a little closer to get closer to home. Uh, both of our parents were back in uh, mine were in Iowa, ours were in Missouri, and the uh, University of Northern Iowa job opened up, so we took uh, took our chances there, and a nice uh, nice job as an assistant director first to begin with, uh, and then two or three years later, my boss left there. Josh Lehman was his name. He was kind enough to again, I tricked him into thinking that I was a good SID, <laughs> and he brought me on board. And I and then in 2009, I uh, was a director at, at uh, Northern Iowa until 2018, and then Northwest Missouri job had opened up. Now, this isn't the first time I'd considered Northwest to come back. In 2003 or so, Dr. Bob Borichter had called me. He had an opening. I think Andy Seeley was leaving to go somewhere else, and they were looking for an SID, and he wanted to know if I was interested in coming back. And I said, at that point, I was just kind of getting into what I was doing. I was learning Bears athletics, and we were transitioning from Division Two to Division One. and in my mind, oh, the Division One is the coolest thing in the world. Well... It's not. I'll tell you that right now. It's just a matter of where you are. It, it truly is. Because I can make this feel like Division One all the time, and I do. So at that point, but the, I was caught up in, like, I just want to see how far my career progresses. I don't want to go back to Northwest. So I told Dr. Bob. Now, he understood what was going on. And so in 2018, when it, the job opened up here again, uh, Joni looked at it, and she said, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. I mean, we've done a lot of great things at, at Northern Colorado, Northern Iowa, but the chance to come back to with her parents here were getting a little bit older, and she just wanted to be in town to be around be around them. And again, I, I had seen Bearcat athletics again from afar thinking it was a football and basketball. And that was pretty much what it was. And when I got back and I understood where this thing was building and where we were going, uh, it was a great opportunity and we couldn't pass it up. And I hated to move Dalton and Graham were, uh, well, they're 16 and 12 now. So they've been what 11 and seven at that point. I hate to move kids in the middle of school. Cause I never moved. I was at the same the Clark high Indians powerful again, a couple wins of basketball. <laughs> Uh, but I hated to move them just before, but it, it ended up just being the right time and right place. And everything has been, has been great here in, in Maryville and, and we, we love being here. And I, again, I, I don't consider this a job at all. It, to me, it's fun every day, even the days I have to work with you. The days you have to work with me are probably the best. Whenever you branch out and you go and I think everybody leaves and you're kind of thinking, reach, see where I can go. At what point, and did you have a point prior to having that conversation with Joni where you're kind of like, It'd be a pretty cool homecoming. Like, it would be nice to be back in Northwest and things a little bit slower in Maryville as opposed to some other cities that are a little bit bigger. And um, and knowing kind of where this athletic department has the potential to reach, which we're hitting that, you know. Um, was there a thought of a homecoming when you're you're in Colorado and you're going over to Iowa and um, thinking about maybe it'd be nice to be back in Maryville at some point? One of those experiences happened in early on at Northern Colorado in 2002 because we actually played in the playoff game back here, uh, Northwest against Northern Colorado, and I was kind of the, the enemy or whatever, sitting across the table from Coach T in a pregame meeting the night before. It was, it was different. To, it was like, this is kind of cool to, to see Northwest from this standpoint being on the outside looking in. Um, and, the, and the university was going under some, some changes at that point just from a like a 
building, like Rick and Road had been kind of torn down. It was going to be a new Bearcat Stadium, new press box. So I knew that things were going to be getting better here, and it was kind of cool to see it still progressing, even though we'd won the championships 98, 99. It's like, where, where is this going to keep going to? And so you could see that from afar. And then when you go to different places, like whenever Northwest would be in the football championship, it would always be a little sense of pride, like, hey, the Bearcats are, are in the title again. It's like 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. We just kept going back then and finally got that knocked off in 09. It was, it was just proud being a Bearcat alum. So I think knowing that that I, I learned everything here and, and, and started from here made it so much easier to say, yeah, this is the right spot. Because there's certain areas, I think, in Division Two that they, I, I don't think I would consider, but this is one that's at the very top. You mentioned those championship teams and even, you know, the Carson Newman game and you're showing up late to work, you're like, well, we're still in overtime, we're still going. So you got a chance to see some of these national championships, even though you weren't, you know, attending every football game, working them, and maybe even having a chance to read every box score. You had a chance to watch a lot of the championships, right? Uh, I, I would like to have watched a few more of them, but sometimes the work that I was doing at those other schools certainly got in the way. Like when I was in Northern Iowa, we had a pretty good football team too. So that we were usually playing football games at the same time Northwest was playing them. So I would have it on. I have like look up the stats and things like that. I just, I couldn't watch them as closely as I wanted to. And so when I see these names now in, in box scores and things, I, I can look back, but I don't ever remember seeing names with, with those faces. So that's the hard part of being away for a while is you don't necessarily see everything from a day-to-day basis. But it's nice to now go back, and I can go back through records and say, oh, man, that was a pretty good run that we had. It's going to be a pretty awkward question now. What do you think was the uh, best Northwest Missouri State, the greatest Northwest football team of all time? Well, 1998. Chris Grayson, quarterback. Tony Miles. Um, it was fantastic. That that To see where the team had come. to their, I mean, a guy like Adam Dore had graduated the year before, but he was a, such a huge part of that. The one I don't want to give a whole lot of credit to, he was a big piece of was the center on that team. Uh, I think he's on the Board of Regents now. I just it, It's hard to give Steve Coppinger a whole lot of credit for that, but it was all Grayson and Miles. So, Steve, if you uh, want Colin's number, if you'd like to have a discussion, just shoot us an email, and uh, we'll get that taken care of for you. Mtritton at nwmissouri.edu will connect you uh, with Colin. Great football team. I, I can't argue with that. I really just want to put the screws to you for some of these more recent teams that we saw that were just absolutely dominant and I mean, it's, see it's, if I can put you in a weird spot. No, I just didn't see the 15 and 16 teams. I know that they they were 15 and 0 and, and there weren't many close games at all with them. They, they were dominant, but again, I didn't see them. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I can say that they were the best without me seeing them play. And then it is difficult because I was nine in 1998. And so I didn't get to see that firsthand and really put, two and two together so no i get that i understand um you mentioned going through akron northern colorado um, northern iowa you worked with some big time coaches some big time personalities a lot of great people along the way um, we think about northwest missouri state we've got a legendary voice down the hall in john coffee you had one up in northern iowa with gary rima i mean of course you not only the stats, but you're also a lot of media relations. You're a lot of connecting people like me with athletes and coaches and um, that access, which you can deny as well. I appreciate you coming in and talking with us and not denying me this interview. I imagine the characters along the way have made this journey pretty interesting as well. Oh, baby. I mean, there, there are so <laughs> many out there. The, the voices that I've worked with, I'd like to put like a top five together of, of the voices of, of athletics that I've worked with. And uh, Please do. Uh, I don't know. It, it, 
maybe if forced, I could probably put together a top five, but maybe not in any particular order. But uh, but Mike Rice at, at Northern Colorado was was a fantastic uh, radio voice. He ended up working for the Rockies a little bit. Had done a lot of Denver Broncos stuff pregame for them. Uh, Mike was a consummate professional. Great, one of the best guys ever. He, I still play fantasy football with Mike and fantasy baseball with him. He's one of the just great individuals that you'd ever run into in life. Um, at Northern Iowa, that's why I said the old baby. It was it was Gary Rima. He was kaboom, <laughs> kaboom, kabooza! Oh, baby, the Panthers are dancing in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, Gary was certainly. There's different ways to do radio, and I'm seeing the different approaches. Whereas John Coffey, again, I talk about being professional. John Coffey is as professional as it comes from a, from just calling a game to the to, to just what is happening out there. John will tell you what is going on, and he's not going to go up. He's not going to go down. He's going to tell you how it is. The, the most excitement might be touchdown Bearcats, touchdown Northwest. It's touchdown Northwest, not Bearcats. <laughs> touchdown Northwest, and that's about as high as you're going to get. But again, John is calling it from the way he feels it. Gary was a different standpoint, and that it's probably on the far end of where you probably want to be. But Gary was so excited about Panther athletics that it was to the to the nth degree. So I, I've seen to the to the highest, and I see John. And there's different ways to call game. There's not one way to call it. You could do a little bit better. I would say that from from your calling standpoint. I don't disagree. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> but the, the, again, I've worked with so many different. Uh, radio, TV, um, newspapers, and now it's more into like blogs and and, and things like that. Where you're, it, it, it's a different piece, and, and and you have to adjust as you go through. Like twenty years ago, I said I'm not giving a credential to anybody that's doing a blog because it, it's just on their own. But now it's, it, it's it's almost like it's more uh, in the mainstream. It's like blogs and podcasts and things like that. So like the access that they get is more so now than I think I would have given it twenty years ago, uh, just because people are. are Take soaking in their their information in different ways. So people might hear this podcast, and this might be what they hear from Bearcat Athletics, and that's great. But there's also people that might read John Dykstra's stuff from the Maryville Forum and think that stuff. Um, there's just different pieces how you, how you get your information, and, and it certainly there's so many different ways to get it now that it, you can't just say no, you're not going to get information from me because we're not going to share it that way. But if if you need the information. I feel like it's my job to share it, and if different folks want to do different interviews with you, I'm I'm, I'm very open and happy to to set up interviews with coaches, student athletes, administrators, and sharing Bearcat athletics. Whereas I don't, I'm kind of the gatekeeper, but again, I feel like the gate should be open because we need to share these stories of Bearcat athletics as much as we can. A lot of different ways to consume it, but then also a lot of different facets that are covered too. I mean, I'll I'll listen to the St. Louis Post Dispatches. Cardinals podcast and then I'll read their articles too and you're kind of getting a lot of different ways of looking at a similar thing and it just kind of opens up your eyes a little bit more it's cool to see so much access and so much so many different ways um, that you can get it because sometimes they don't have time to read the paper want to listen to a podcast driving on the road so uh, you mentioned you did a John Coffey you did a Gary Rama do you have a Mike Rice um, impression uh, Mike's was more of a can you believe that <laughs> and it was just the again it, it wasn't like over the top like like Gary but it wasn't quite to, it, Mike had his own his own way of doing it and was such a just a good a good man I would just say that I mean it was just there, there was he, he he's fantastic I, I'm glad I got to work with him I'm glad I got to travel with him a little bit and do some of the things that we did with uh, with Mike and and see and then he got a little bit bigger and went to KOA and, and did all that stuff with with the Broncos and Rockies and it's been fun to stay in contact with with Mike through the years and uh, it is so enjoyable to beat him in fantasy baseball as well and then certainly in fantasy football too of course uh, all right so I know that you clearly you're listening to Bearcat Rewind 
every episode. You're not going to miss that one. But if we're going to branch out, and let's just step away from athletics and, and northwest Missouri State for a moment, you're driving down the road, you're not consuming numbers, you want to listen to a podcast, what's your go-to? Uh, lately, it's been a lot of Jimmy Traina, uh with the SI Media Podcast, and I, I know you kind of tuned me into that a little bit in some of our road trips. One that it is not, and, and I did listen to it, it's vegan, uh, vegan podcast. That one is not, that was put out there by John midway through the year, and that one is, it wasn't a great one. I know John wanted to listen to it, but that was. See, I thought, I thought this was going to be like some weird comedy podcast. I was asking what you enjoy, not just like things you were forced to uh, listen to. I've, I've started on Smartless, and that one's, uh, that one's pretty good. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and uh, Sean Hayes. Why didn't you think the vegan one was interesting? It just, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, I know I kind of forced a little bit on you with the, I think it was the Kelsey's podcast. And we were trying to, everyone was kind of on that road trip. It was like, I had an option. Then you had an option. We had to do a little Raiders podcast, which was fine. Cause they were, you, it was, it you, was the chose, you wanted to listen to that one too. Yeah. But I did not choose vegan. That was not, uh, that was a little different. Smartless. That one has been fantastic. We even watched a little uh, HBO piece on that one, a little six. That kind of got me going on it, and then I've been able to listen to a few of their podcasts. The humor in that is fantastic, and it reminds us a lot of some road trips that we've taken throughout the years. So those that have never listened to or, or watched a little mini series about the making of Smartless and everything behind the scenes, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, three celebrities, and they get a, uh, a guest that only one of them knows about, and two of them are just, it's sprung on them, and they just have to rattle off some questions and kind of get into it that way. Um, but the the banter between Jason Bateman and Will Arnett, it, it it does feel like some conversations that you and I have in the media van driving to Bearcat games that feels kind of contentious, and there are some like very different viewpoints raised, but it's all in good fun. A lot of it boils down to food, food and, and the options of food. Where 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 are we going to stop? What are we going to do? Are we going to stop? Is it going to be a drive-through situation? Are we going to keep moving to get home? How much ice cream are you guys going to eat? If you're going to sit and have ice cream, I think you want to sit and have ice cream. You don't want to be on the run with ice cream. So it, sometimes it's better to savor the ice cream. But you can sit in the van while you're driving home. Now, this stems back, for those that don't know, which only about probably five people do and five care. But we're in Topeka, Kansas. We can have a chance to get home by like 630 on a Saturday evening after a basketball game. And I'm like, hey, let's get home. Let's have our Saturday and be able to relax and get to sleep at a decent time. And John Coffey and Colin McDonough proceed to sit there and eat too much ice cream. But it took like an hour. Like we, I could have driven while you ate, and instead we just sat there. Part of it dealt with just savoring a victory over Gene Castle and Washburn, which happens a lot. And then secondly, it was just the idea of being together. Uh, with you we would have been me. together in the van. But it was just the, the setting was, was fantastic there. Uh, great burgers. And then we had, just added the ice cream at the end. It was just nice. to, And it, it wasn't something I think we had like maybe Sundays or something. I guess you could have driven if that would have been the I didn't the get ice cream. I just sat there and waited. Because you would have had a shake or something that you can eat with a straw or drink with a straw. And then you could drive with, with a straw. But when you have like a cup of ice cream or, or a spoon, it's harder to drive in that situation. So John and I didn't feel comfortable driving. And I was, ice but I offered to drive. But then again, it was just the amount of savoring that that moment uh, together as, as the trio. Or I can't remember if Ryan Milky was with us on that one or not. I think it was just I the think trio. The next year we went back and you took Milky, and then we had to sit there again. That might have been during football season. The that, next one that may have been in spite. I, I'm not sure about that one. I, 
spite comes in once in a while on a road trip. Just once in a while, not a whole lot. It comes in a decent amount. And at that point, too, if it's basketball season, we're in Topeka, it's February. We've already set and spent how many road trips together? Countless hours in the car. People leaning back seats and trying to rest. Do you, do you feel like pushing a seat back is, is a courteous move or an uncourteous move to push a seat back? I think there are situations that it is definitely okay. I just feel like if you're in front of someone and you put your seat back into their area, it's really uncomfortable for that individual. So I always feel like if I have a reclinable seat, I'm not going to use it if someone is behind me. And this goes back to air travel, correct? A little bit. A little bit. Eight-hour flight, going to Hawaii. It's a red eye. Actually, he's coming home. Lean the seat back. The seats have the recline option because you're allowed to do it. They do have it. They also have the option of not reclining if someone is behind you. But if you're not supposed to do it, the airlines wouldn't have it on there. We, again, we agree to disagree, but this is the type of banter that occurs on a normal Bearcat radio road trip. And the third piece of that uh, that podcast, Smartless, is Sean Hayes usually just kind of awkwardly sitting in the back and like doesn't want to butt in because he's not sure who he's going to offend. And that's kind of a combination of John Coffey and Ryan Milkey of a little unsure of which side to take <laughs> or if they want to get in. <laughs> They're never really sure if this is a real argument or something that's been cooked up just to have conversation <laughs> during this trip. Because it can get quiet at times on these trips if the podcasts are not rolling. And uh, sometimes the Flint Hills are not always as beautiful as they can be. Uh, so sometimes conversation rules and conversations take turns that, that you don't always expect them to take. And I think John and Ryan were not always used to where it was going to go with the conversation between you and I, which I take in most of jest, but there's also some fun that, that, that gets on both sides. It, there's give and take on both sides. It's not just someone attacking someone for their bad choices. Sometimes there's attacking for bad choices, but that goes both ways too. Is it true that COVID-19 started with you in the Midwest? Oh, I didn't have that. that I misread that. But actually, it kind of did, didn't it? There was a potential that it, that it may have started in Wichita, Kansas in uh, February of 2020. No, late January. Late January 2020. You, you had a cough when we were in Edmonton. There was a, there was a major, and you, major... And you made jokes. A major cough as we went into the old Chicago. I was coughing as I went in there. I said, oh, this is COVID. <laughs> because it, at that point, it certainly hadn't taken over the entire country or world yet. And that was, was a just, Thursday night. By Saturday afternoon, leaving Wichita, I mean, you I was bad. I wasn't in good shape. I, I don't know if I had a headache or it was just, I was feeling bad. I guess it, my wife always thinks that I had it and just never, I was, I, I've never tested positive for, for COVID. And she always says, well, you had it. And I was like, well, I didn't because I never tested positive for it. I don't know if I had it because I didn't test positive. And I've taken tests and I've, I've never had a, a negative test. So You've never had a negative test? I, so they've all been positive. Whatever it would be. I've never had, I guess I've never tested for it. For it, Wh Which way would you say that? I've never had a positive test? Yeah, a positive would mean that you positive. had it. Okay. You kind of had a Michael Scott situation. I feel like when you're negative, <laughs> like a negative means bad, so negative means you have it. This right? is 100% Michael Scott in the office. <laughs> if I have a negative test, that's a bad test. If that I have a positive test, that you don't good. have it. I'm positive. I can see I where the confusion would lie. It only relies within you and a fictional character on the office. That is it. So there's potential that I that it started in uh, in the Topeka Edmond area in late January 2020. I think I probably did. How many perfects do you have on the Immaculate Grid? 
I don't think I have a perfect one yet. Really? I don't think so. I've got eight out of nine numerous times um, from the time, and I'm glad you, you've opened this up. Uh, I hope folks can find it. It's immaculategrid.com. It's a three-by-three three cube or whatever. On, it, it's on, you can find it probably on your desktop if you want it on wherever you get on your internet or on your phone. Uh, just do a quick little three-by-three three grid, and it just says, like, it has a team, and then it's got another team and match it. Let's say it was the Phillies and the Cubs. You need to find a player that played for the Phillies and the Cubs at any time. And then there might be another column that says like twenty twenty win season for the Cubs. So you got to find a, a Cubs guy, and you just in those nine cubes, you just can't have the same name twice, and you have to have somebody that matches each of those areas. And it's been a fun fun game to wake up each morning and and try to do it, and then share with you the numbers and see uh, see who has the uh, higher number. Uh, there's a lot of my baseball friends out there that are on top of it and, and doing a great job with it, and I can't believe how many immaculate grids they get. It's just uh, it, again, this is a part of my mind that Joni would say, you don't need this part. It's just wasting away space that could be used for, for helping around the house and other things like that. But it's just fun to come up with odd names from the past. Of Well, there there are some that I'll look at. For instance, this morning, Cardinals and Braves, I'm like, ha, huh, Ron Gant, 2%. That's pretty good. And then I look at Collins, and he's got all these guys that are like 1% or less, meaning how many people have guessed that particular player, and it's um, – you you don't want to have the same guy that everybody does. It happens sometimes, but you want to have like, oh man, that rare guy that nobody's thinking about ever. And you kind of pull out some names that I've never heard. Joe Torre. You've certainly heard of Joe Torre. Well, I've heard of Joe Torre, but do I need to pull up the grid now to read a name that I've never heard of before? And I like to think of myself as a baseball nerd. Then I look at this and I'm like, huh, no chance. I feel like the, uh, the Rockies, Yankees one today, that one... The player that I chose is actually from Greeley, Colorado. And so I'd watched him pitch for the Rockies, and then he ended up being with the, I think he's might have been with the Pirates too, but he was with the Yankees afterwards. And so that was just a name that had always stuck with me. And so when I, when I saw the Rockies-Yankees come up, there's other great names you could come up with for that. Did you have one? The other name I had or another name that I'd never heard of? I, put, I ended up with Sean Chacon. I put Matt Holiday. I've, I've heard of Sean Chacon, but, again, that was like, yeah, 90s of – I'm never going to remember him again. Hank Greenberg hitting 40 home runs for the Tigers. I would have never thought of that. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. I was just trying to come up with some. When you think of the Tigers and 40 home runs, I think most people think of a Cecil Fielder or. Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. 73% put Miguel Cabrera, and I was one. Yeah, I went for. I tried to get a rarer number to get that, that, that rarity number down as low as I could get it. I think today that's was one of the good. lowest I'd had. Was it 136? 176. 176. And I missed a grid. So if you miss a grid, I think that's 100 points added. So it should have been, if I could have just figured out. Who was I struggling with today? It was the... Uh, it was the Rockies and Tigers. Rockies. The one that popped up after you finish it and you can look at it. It was C.J. Crone. I can't remember C.J. Crone. Played for the Angels. I don't know. I think that's about all I've got for you, Colin. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, one last thing. You mentioned a couple times, too. Uh, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, playing with Mike Rice, uh, former voice of the uh, Colorado Rockies, so pretty impressive there. Um, before we let you go, who won your 2021 Fantasy Football League? Um, 2021, not 2022. Correct, 2021. Because I looked back today and saw the 2022 champ was the Strangler, uh, Bill Chaves, the athletic director at the University of North Dakota. 
he won that one. We have some contacts back in Northern Colorado. So he won it in 2022. I'm going to guess here that it was Matt Tritton as a rookie in fantasy football. I think it was my second year. Second year. Not rookie, yeah. I was pretty bad my first year. This year we've got a rookie in our baseball league that seems to be doing quite well. He just whipped just me. <laughs> this Graham McDonough is something else. He is he's scouring waiver wires. He's picking up pitchers uh, almost in the method of his father. Of, of picking up players and trying to match him move for move in this league. And he, he has built himself a, a, a pretty good team. Uh, I look forward to him potentially in the playoffs, but uh, when you match up against pros in this league, that the cream will rise to the top and, and he will go down. I don't know. I mean, you look back at what he did on the diamond, big time triple in the tournament, helping his team reach uh, the semifinals. And now what he's doing here, he's, Pretty impressive year he, for Graham. He, he is laughing at everyone that did not pick Shohei as a batter in the first round. He was laughing at people that took – some people in our league took Bobby Witt. Uh, I took Mike Trout. There were other Ugh. selections, but I think Trey Turner was another one. And so he laughs every day. He just has a cackle that he does, and it's fantastic to hear him. <laughs> he just like, Shohei Otani, who didn't pick Shohei? It's like inc- he just can't imagine someone not picking the best player in baseball. And so we'll get into a conversation right now. Who's the best player in baseball? And I'll say – uh, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner. And he says, Dad, who is it? And I said, well, looking at the numbers, it's probably Ronald Acuna. He said, no, Dad, who is the best player in baseball? And it, it is Shohei Otani. The, the stuff that he's doing as a Major League Baseball player, it is truly incredible. Uh, we talk about Babe Ruth being like a, a great pitcher and a great hitter, but never for an extended amount of time was, was he doing both. Shohei is doing things in Major League Baseball that I think – if they get the opportunity to go, if if they're in town playing the Royals, I, th- I would encourage fans to go see him play because you can just say, I've seen potentially the greatest baseball player in the history of the game. It I, To be hitting what he does and, and to pitch the way he does, it is, it's, just, it, it's fun to watch him play baseball. I saw Barry Bonds, so I think maybe I did see the greatest. I saw Mike Schmidt, so I feel like that. Top set is that? Can can I say something that might be a little controversial? I don't know, Please. maybe not. Please. So a lot of these guys, if you're reaching the major leagues, you are a pretty good two way guy, probably through little league and high school and into college, or or maybe a little bit in the minors too. Of boy, he can hit the ball. He's got a live arm. He's a great athlete in the field. And then it's kind of deciding what are we going to do with them. You know, Hunter Green was throwing like a hundred miles per hour in high school. He's a great shortstop. He could hit, and the Reds are like. He's a pitcher. We need him to pitch. And now he's a starting pitcher, and he's probably going to be an ace. Well, he probably is their ace, but I think he's going to be big-time guy, many-time all-star, right? What if Hunter Green, they're like, keep pitching. We want you to keep hitting. We're not going to play in the field. We're going to pull back on the shortstop stuff. Get your bullpens. Take batting practice every day. We're going to put you in the lineup as a DH. Could we not have more guys doing what Shohei or Tani are doing? Not to that level. Not hitting 40 home runs, per se. But Mason Wynn is a shortstop for the Cardinals, who was drafted as a two-way guy. Mason, we're not going to play it short as much. Don't worry about taking the infielding. Go get your bullpen and then take batting practice. I feel like what Shohei is doing should open up more ideas to do that because these kids were clearly the best athletes on their team growing up. They've, they've done both. Absolutely. Can you keep doing it at the highest level? I think there should be more people trying it and doing it because it's also going to save your roster. If you can have somebody that can do both, that, that's one roster spot and not two or three that you're having to, to worry about. Yeah. It also opens the manager up to a lot of criticism of, boy, this guy's a heck of an athlete and does this, this, and this. Why did you make a defensive substitution and put him in 
right field in the ninth inning for defensive purposes, but then the game went to extras because of a solo home run, and now all of a sudden he played seven innings the night before he's supposed to start. I don't know. There's a lot of weird can of worms. Shohei's great. I take Ronald Acuna for this year. He's going to be the MVP. I guess there is I guess there's American League National League, so it's not just – I feel like the way the schedule set up this year with everybody playing everybody, it's more – and it would be more fair this year to determine just one MVP for the entire league, similar to what you do in the NFL. I think there's just an MVP in the NFL because you're even though not everybody in the NFL is playing each other. Whereas this year, in Major League Baseball, everybody is playing everybody, so it's the first time that that's happened. It's a more from an over-encompassing area of looking at. It, I think you could say, yeah, we could probably have one MVP and not just a league MVP. But I'm sure there's some crusty writers out there that would say otherwise. You call me crusty? Not you. I'm not a writer. I think there's crusty writers. There are crusty writers out there. If Ronald Lacuna is not doing what he's doing in the National League, they make the playoffs like they should, is Luis Arise the MVP if he hits 400? <sighs> and I'm, I'm taking out Ronald Lacuna from the if equation. If Lacuna's not there, if somebody hits 400 in this day and age, I don't know how you couldn't be the MVP in the league. I don't know how you couldn't. Now, it's, it, I don't think Arise is going to do it. He's going to challenge it. He might. He's going to finish high. I, I'm going to guess 360, I mean, if, if 370. Bats, if he bats 380, I mean, that's still – he should get a lot of votes. I mean, that's impressive. And I feel like he should have been considered for a fantasy trade early in the year with a, with an individual in our league. Go ahead and put that out there, what the trade was. Uh, who was the second baseman that was offered up? I was him? offered, oh, as a Cardinals was, fan, Tommy Tom, Edmond. Tommy Edmond for Luis Arias. And, and the individual thought you would, since you're a Cardinal lover, that you would want Tommy Edmond on your team. Would you still like Tommy Edmond on your team? Great player, but just not fine. for Luisa Rice. So I had him last year, and he's with the Twins. He was the AL batting champ. And then whoever was really smart this year drafted him probably mid-rounds, and now he's still on my team. He's going to be the batting champ of the NL this year. Fantastic. Colin McDonough, I appreciate your time. Matt Tritton, it is always enjoyable. I wish this could go on for hour after hour, but I'm not sure viewers or listeners would continue hour after hour. There are some out there that would. John Coffee. If that's right. If this gets a good response, maybe we could start up a uh, podcast in our van rides to games. Riding with the was it the we had, maybe there's a potential name out there. Riding with the boys or right what was what do we have uh Bussing with the boys? No, bus, that's Will Compton. Bus, not, no. I think we had a name for it though. Ah, I'm just trying to blank what we first guest, Ryan Milky. Huh. Like this happen. Appreciate everybody tuning in and, and uh, catching our podcast here for today. If you haven't listened, you can check out some of our archived editions here on the Bearcat Rewind podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Bearcat Public Media app. Make sure you get the reviews in on that. We want five stars and leave a review on Apple if you can. And we'll read those on future broadcasts. And if you really enjoyed having Colin on, maybe we can make him our salicata like Jimmy Trina has and have him on regularly. Um, if you thought this was terrible, please let us know. We won't have it ever again. So, or at least not without Joe Q. I just won't be on the air. I, I'll always be around, but I just will not be on the air. Which is all right, too. Oh, John Coffey's walking by. Touchdown, Northwest. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>